full of many bizarre stories that cause us to ask some questions about who God is and what in the world is happening in this passage. Uh, Today we seek to shed some clarity on some of these bizarre stories. This is Consider It, where we are considering questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Do you have questions regarding life, theology, or the church? If so, text the word REDEMPTION and your question to 830-299-7505. Again, that's 830-299-7505, and we will consider your question. To learn more about our church and our ministry here, visit redemption.bible. I'm Michael Hawkins. And I'm Blair Cushman. Let's consider it. Today we have four questions that we are going to touch on briefly. And so, um, as you uh, alluded to in the intro, um, sometimes they're just a little bit interesting, causing us to think. And so it's good to sit back and, and chew on some of this. And so the first one is... In reading Genesis 4, we read that Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel in the beginning. And then verse 16, Cain goes to Nod. And then in verse 17, has relation with his wife. How, or maybe by whom, did the other places get population of people? All right, yeah. Yeah. Today we're going to... Uh, you know, just do things a little bit out of the ordinary. Normally, we take one question that's submitted and we uh, take it through the gospel lens. But uh, we've gotten several kind of Bible-related questions, you know, yep. that just need some clarity shed on it. And you know, that's what we're going to seek to do, even in answering this uh, initial question. Is hopefully, as we take well, not just this question, but all four questions right. today, is. Uh, not just provide clarity to the specific question, but hopefully help uh, you who are listening uh, just know how to handle the Bible better. Yeah. You know, uh, to demonstrate some good hermeneutics or yeah. the study of Scripture. So say, yeah, that's a big word. What does that yeah, mean? Yeah. Hermen- <laughs> who? Uh, hermen- hermeneutics, uh, which is really just the study of Scripture. And those principles that we abide by when we're studying the Bible. Like, we don't just come to the scriptures and it's not just a free-for-all, whatever it means to you or me. Um, There are principles in place that everybody, every Christian, everybody that comes to the Bible uh, should employ to get the right interpretation and then the right application. That's why we have, you know, different denominations and different things because people make sense of the Bible in different ways. And really what it boils down to in, in so many cases is a difference in hermeneutics. Right. Somebody uh, misapplying uh, these principles or not using it or just trying to make a scripture seem like or what it wants to say or over-interpreting it. Um, yeah. Well, it's just like, for instance, now we wouldn't read a comic book in the same way that we would read a newspaper. Right. And so understanding the purpose, the... Yeah the intent of the authors, um, and then once we understand that, we can read it in its proper um, lens. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, those things. Who's writing? uh, To whom are they writing? Why are they writing? Um, And uh, and especially when it comes to, like, Genesis, there's so much, uh, I'd say, over-interpretation of the book of Genesis because... (laughs) 
well-meaning people, well-meaning Christians even, want Genesis to say more than I think God intended for Genesis to say. Yeah, and they, the reason which Moses is writing. Yeah, they wanted to to be a history book. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and a science textbook. A as si- well. yeah. yeah, and in a sense, it, it is a history yeah. um, lesson. It, it gives us a lot of insight, but it's right. not all-consuming. Right. It doesn't. Right. Give us all the details. No, no. See, Genesis was written by Moses, the guy who we will learn about in later uh, books in Exodus. He wrote uh, what was known as the Pentateuch, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He wrote those first five books to the children of Israel who were moving into the promised land. Those believers at the time in Joshua, that generation Mm -hmm. that had gone through the 40 years and, uh, and were entering in, uh, the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to write this uh, origin story of the world and of the people of God uh, for them as they are heading into this new land and are forming a new people, a new uh, covenant by which they live, yeah. um, and uh, just a whole new era in the history of humanity. And and that's the that's the purpose that he's writing. Yeah, you know? yeah book of remembrance to, to look yeah. at God's faithfulness and to yeah. really set their trajectory forward to say, hey, God promised these things. He's yeah. been faithful, and he's yeah. going to continue to be faithful right. in that. Right. And so that's we just have to remember that, especially when it comes to Genesis in these early chapters of uh, you know creation and all that. Now, yeah. you know, we do believe in a literal twenty-four hour period. It makes the most sense as we, you know, but some like make that be you know so much bigger. <laughs> yeah. Then maybe it needs to be, and uh, you know, and then the population of the earth. And so a question like this is really great because, uh, it, well, it's shown some good Bible study. You know, yeah. because you have like, okay, you have Adam and Eve. They have Cain and Abel uh, as their sons, and but sin has entered into the world. Cain kills Abel. Uh, now he's dead, and now Cain uh, is, is referenced. He knows his wife, and uh, you know, well, he leaves uh, in verse sixteen. And she said. Or as the question said, uh, assuming it's a she, uh, maybe it's a he, I don't know. Uh, but uh, Cain uh, leaves away from, or goes away from the presence of the Lord, settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden, and then he knows his wife and conceives and bores Enoch. And so just as we're reading chronologically here, it's like, wait, 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 where'd all these other people come from? That's right. You know? And what's so interesting here, too, just as kind of like a note in the book of Genesis Verse 16 is really uh, helpful for us because there's this pattern in Genesis as people go east. Moses is kind of making this uh, a kind of a spiritual analogy here. As people go east, it is that they are turning away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. They are leaving his presence, going east of Eden. Now, we don't know where Nod is. We don't know where Eden is. These are just kind of mm-hmm. right. uh, you know, places that have been lost to history. But what is in, in important is that he is left. Yeah, um, he's going away, and now where is where does his wife come from? Well, again, also we have to understand like there's a purpose that he's uh, writing here. Like Cain, this chapter four is about Cain's uh, downfall, the effects of sin. Mm-hmm. Kills his brother, he leaves, and that should cause us to grieve. And then who knows? There's just not really a timestamp about what, how much time happens there. Right. But what we do know, if we jump to chapter five, then, and this is where you know. Uh, passages in our Bible like genealogies, which we often read over, which we don't like, become so helpful to our understanding of Scripture. <laughs> right. We get uh, you know frustrated because we can't pronounce their names, and there's all these things. Yeah. Uh, and I get that, but there's these helpful indicators because if you jump over to uh, chapter five, it says the days of Adam after he fathered Seth, which is another son. So Cain and Abel, and he and Eve have a son Seth. 
for 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Yep. And so as God's populating the earth, they have others that aren't named, not because they're unimportant, you know, whatever, uh, but in Moses writing the story, he's, there are these others. And so from likely, I mean, this is our best uh, understanding, likely then uh, uh, Cain's wife came from one of Adam and Eve's others, you know, so like we'd say, it was his sister, you know, and so like in our, you know, to our modern sensibilities, like, ah, yeah. no, yeah, like, yeah. we can't do that, um, and yet, you know, as we think about those early days, God had special provisions in those days for the population of the earth and all that, and it wasn't until later on, uh, and, uh, you know, in the, uh, with the coming of the law, where these things are then uh, forbidden now that yeah. the law's there. And it, it doesn't suggest a specific time frame, and so we don't know the degree of separation. And this, there's just a, right. there's a lot here that's right. unspoken. Right. But again, because it's not the emphasis of the right. the story. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it, these are great questions to ask, yeah. you know, and I think we can kind of draw some, uh, some, some pieces uh, from this and, Maybe it wasn't necessarily right as daughter. Maybe it is. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe came you know married a niece or something like that. Yeah. Um, but there seems to indicate that in those early days that this was a part of God's you know special provision. Yeah. You know, in the you know, there's nothing else. You know, when you're starting. But now as you know, as time has gone on, things have obviously drastically changed. Um, and even you know when you get to the flood, things uh, you know things really change on yeah. the earth. But then especially when you get to the law, and all these things are now forbidden, but this is pre-law and, mm. and uh, in this time here. So likely that's what happened. You know, there's other speculation. Maybe there were other people. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, if we're just kind of taking God's word here, I think that's the best explanation. And yet even understanding, like, well, what's the main purpose here? You know, in chapter 4 is just showing uh, the grievousness of sin and what it you know, that's what's happening in Cain's uh, life. And yet also the special grace and kindness of God hmm. towards Cain that he doesn't wipe him out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sinned and he doesn't strike him down. Yeah. Even as he walks away uh, from the Lord, which is so grievous. And, uh, and the rest of the story then, even as it gets to Lamech, and Lamech's bragging about having multiple wives and bragging about his sinfulness. You know, like, you thought Cain's sin was was uh, uh, was bad. You should see my sin. And now it's just boasting. And it's like, man, how quickly. We're just four chapters into the Bible. Yeah. How quickly things deteriorate. Like how fast depravity spirals out of control. We just like are from the Garden of Eden two chapters before, and then sin comes, and man, it just spirals out of control. And then you get to chapter six, you know, and and uh, and, and that, that passage that's like the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yeah. Hmm. What you know? We're just we're just two chapters <laughs> into the Bible, right. and. Uh, and so then God obviously sends the flood and destroys the earth and pours out his judgment, but also shows this massive grace to Noah and his family yeah. in, uh, in all this. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I hope that helps. You know, it's kind of a bizarre scenario, what's going on here. But as we look at it, well, what's the main intent and what's, you know, maybe a likely explanation of yeah. a question like this. Yeah. But, 
But we have another bizarre one, yeah? That's right. So the next question is, Jephthah's vow at the end of Judges 11 seems horribly against the story and character of God yep. and the Bible. Yep. Please help me to understand this story. Yeah. Judges. <laughs> you want like a whole litany of, of bizarre stories? <laughs> judges. You know, read through Judges. And, uh, man, it is, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I laugh just because of how, you know, every chapter in the book of Judges gets really worse than the previous. Yeah. And I think just as we look at the book of Judges and the the cyclical uh, character of the book of Judges Mm -hmm. and just that that the people are are sinning. God anoints a a leader or a judge. They lead things get a little better and then there's sin again and then a new leader rises and it's just this consistent pattern of sinfulness and debauchery and and every cycle gets a little bit worse yeah you know this is just chapter 11 you get later you know 10 more chapters into it and the story's even more bizarre yeah more gut-wrenching and again this is a you know the the intention here in judges so like put it into the you know the historical narrative of the world you know human history you know we have like we talked about earlier you have the pentateuch and god's people moving into the promised land that's joshua in the victory of god's people in the settlement of the promised land and the you know now is here's life here and then in the book of judges it's like this is what happens when in the absence of spiritual leadership yeah you know, all throughout the book, is like, and the people forsook the Lord and did not serve him. And the people did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. You know? uh, and and it's, it's like a warning mm. to all of God's people. Like, this is what happens when you, you know, when you think that you know better than God. Yeah. This is what happens when you think that you can live apart from the word of God. This is what happens in the absence of spiritual leadership when there isn't any, or we choose not to follow the spiritual leadership. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know those priest guys, but you know whatever. And then, but then at the, towards the end, it's it's like yeah, the priestly system as well is they're they're all jacked up. Yeah. And so you get to passage specifically then in Jephthah, and he makes this crazy vow here. Um, which we'll read uh, here in just a second. But the question, you know, it seems horribly against the story and character of God in the Bible. Well, you know, like, so you take that and you're like, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, this is, this is what happens when you forsake God. And so, that, but that's why it's in the story of the scripture as a warning. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, this is a look at Jephthah's sin yeah. and his misunderstanding of the character of God yeah. and, and a warning yeah. to us in light of that. It's not highlighting God's yeah. you know character in, in a sense. Right, right. So uh, so here's just, this is the end of, of Judges 11. I'll read it here. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah to Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And so, right there, you know, Jephthah is, he's like, God, if you'll, 
you know, if you give me victory against my enemies, whatever comes out, the first thing to come out, or the first person that comes out of my tent, you know, uh, I'll offer it up to you as a burnt offering. You know, that'd be like us, you know, saying, hey, the next person to walk into my living room right now, God, if you'll give me this, if you'll give me, uh, you know, uh, this promotion that I want, if you'll make me a millionaire, God, uh, you know, I'll give you whatever, you know. Um, And, uh, you know, and so before we get to how this answers, which people are probably familiar with the scripture, you know, know how how this turns out. Right then and there, this is a a foolish vow. Yeah. you know, okay, yeah, so the Spirit of God's on him to anoint him to go and do these things, but let us not mistake, like, oh, that the Spirit of God is leading him to make this vow. Right, yeah. Jephthah should never have done this. I mean, this is a this is an abomination to the just the, the law that's in place already, what the burnt offerings were. Um, like, God would never call us to do something like that this yeah and uh, and so he should never have done it um and then you know the story goes on he has victory and then he goes home and the story goes on and guess who comes out his, his daughter. daughter yeah yeah his daughter and uh he, he, you know and and so you know what does he do he goes through with it like even yeah. more foolishly like he's at a place of like like no, hopefully, he, he should have come to his senses. Yeah, you know, this should drive to repentance, right? right. <laughs> a recognition of, oh no, what have I done? Right. Um, almost as if the vow, he believes that the vow that he made is what actually brought the victory. Right, right. Rather than God's fulfilling his plan right. and his purpose in a sovereign manner. Right, yeah. right. That's what ultimately brought it. Not because Joe's, uh, Jephthah made this Wow, and so now God is on the hook to do this. <laughs> That's right. You know, no, God Himself said He will go before you. He will fight at their enemies, and so Jephthah is just taking matters into his own hands. He's taking credit. Now this has happened, and in every way he should have, you know, been humble before the Lord, praying in dependence. God, you have to go before me, not making these crazy vows, not going through them with the crazy vows, um, and committing this great wickedness even despite the victory that God gives. Mm-hmm. And that's all over the pages of Judges, because here's like, it's a warning, as we've mentioned, to, of what happens when we take matters into our own hands, when we do what is right in our own eyes, yeah. when we forsake God's ways and forget Him. Um, and it is also a massive display of the patience and long-suffering mm. and mercy of God. Yeah. Uh, because he had every right in the book of Judges all throughout this to just like wipe them all out and go and you know <laughs> to start over again Yeah. although he said he would not that's right you know back in Genesis and the flood he said he would not wipe them out he made a covenant and that's the beauty of it with Abraham it's it all revolved on God God yeah and he made this covenant with these people in his preservation even to this day they still exist and here and are even even though the Jewish people are in a state of rebellion against the Lord by and large even now you know their eyes have been blinded uh, as uh, you know it says in Romans 11 but they uh, uh, they uh, God has just been so long suffering and so patient even with his people even despite this like uh, descending 
a cycle <laughs> of depravity. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And I think this is just a, a consistent thing that we see throughout the Old Testament and the history of Israel is even in their rebellion, um, yeah. in, in their their lack of faith and trust in the Lord, we see His goodness, His faithfulness over and over again, working things out to fulfill His purposes. Right. And, and we see that even now, just right. in our, our own lives as right. as we think about that, you know, that He he works together all things mm-hmm. for good for those who right. love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so we just, we think about His goodness, that even in our recklessness, yeah. He can turn those things about, and He does those things. He He uses and works through those things right. to fulfill His right. His will. Yeah. And it's yeah. just He He's not thwarted by even rampant depravity yeah. like this. Yeah. God has His purposes. He's going to work it out. And the beauty of it all, like you were mentioning, is that He can work it all together to still accomplish His glory and to preserve His people and to keep His promises. Even when it's, even when it's, you know, when it, when it's crazy like yeah. this, and what hopes is, should that give us even today? You know, as we see, you know, maybe not people sacrificing their daughters on a burnt altar, but right. uh, but we see some pretty, you know, wicked depravity in our world. Yeah. You know, and uh, <clears throat> and the same kind of pervasive uh, uh, heart posture of doing what is right in our own eyes. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, can make a god for themselves, can just do That's what right. they want. Both. You know, amongst unbelievers, even within you know Christendom. Well, know? and I think it's it's become just the the mantra of you know you do you and I'll do me and right. we'll all just get along. Yeah. Um, the reality is right. when we're when we go to that place, we you know judges is a warning of that that we saw that like yeah. when we start to do what is right in our own eyes, um, yeah. it's it's a dangerous yeah. place to be. Yeah. 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 Totally. And so that's how I think it fits into the story and where we can see even some a glimpse of God's character, even despite uh, all this. But, but we have another question, and now we move to the New Testament. That's Two right. Old Testament ones, but now to New Testament. So hit us with the third one. All right. Number three was the baptism John the Baptist did, the same baptism as done by the apostles. Okay, so John the Baptist, who was a precursor to Christ, right? You read about him in the early chapters of the Gospels. Um, he comes on the scene and he's baptizing people. Like John the Baptist kind of has this, uh, uh, I don't know, crazy man kind of mentality. He's like, That's right. and, you know, down by the river, <laughs> locusts and honey, wearing camel hair, and uh, and baptizing people, and you know, kind of that maybe a modern day hellfire and brimstone guy. Yeah. Um, and so he's baptizing people, but then we see it all throughout the New Testament as well. The apostles then be baptizing people, but there yeah. is a difference here. And so it's a good question, I think, because, yeah. you know, the the short answer, uh, was it the same as no? Uh, you know, very simply speaking, is uh, John's was a baptism of repentance, kind of a preparing the way mm-hmm. for the people of Israel to recognize, hey, we're far from the Lord, and... And to get their hearts low and humble and repentant because he knew that Christ, the Messiah, was coming mm-hmm. and whom they would find salvation. Yeah, he recognizes that he was there to, <clears throat> to pave the way, to yeah. to make a way for the Messiah. And so right. it was a, a recognition of 
like you said, that they were far from are far from the Lord, right. and that they needed to turn back. Right. You know, like in John one, you have this this testimony, and uh, he's he's answering the Pharisees. You know, that they they ask him, he says, "Then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet?" And John answered them, "I baptize you with water." But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And so there's even just a humility amongst him. He recognizes his place as a you know as a forerunner, calling the people of Israel to repentance, which of course the Pharisees weren't going to do. They're like, no, we're not. Like, we got this right, you know. Yeah. They they, they uh, thought they were smart, um, and yet. Uh, John is so humble and is just preparing the way. And so once Christ comes, he, his ministry stops. You know? yeah. he's, you know, he's, when Jesus is alive and during his ministry, he's beheaded. You know, so yeah. obviously stops it after he's you know, arrested and that happens. Um, and then the apostles afterwards are commissioned with this in the Great Commission of a baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a different baptism uh, of... Uh, uh, not of baptismal regeneration that we are uh, in our baptism we're saved, right. but as again a symbol of being identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. And so it's more full, whereas John's was a preparatory one to just kind of lay us low. Hey, like <laughs> this is like be cleansed of your sin. Here now there's a, an even more full picture mm-hmm. as believers then are being baptized as the church is, is uh, being uh, born there after Pentecost yeah. and uh, 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 that is an identification with Christ. Yeah. So. And I think as you touch on the you know, Pentecost you know the difference is that that's when the, the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells yeah. believers and so as we talk about you know the baptism of the, the Holy Spirit it's right. a recognition of a a rebirth, yeah. and again, it's it's not the baptism that brings that, right? But it's that that recognition yeah. to say that we have been you know laid down with the death of Christ and then risen again, yeah. and so it's that that symbol that comes with baptism, recognizing yeah. the the Holy Spirit right. now indwells. Right. I am in walking us. in newness of life because of this, and that's the the word baptism literally means to immerse, mm-hmm. you know, to dunk. Um, and that's kind of missed out, you know. The word baptism is a transliteration of the Greek word, not a translation. If it was a translation, you would see it in the scripture in, in like English as either dunked or immersed. You know, mm-hmm. I'm dunking you in, you know, in this. I'm immersing you. But uh, the Greek word baptizo, uh, which is what's here, and so it's just been transliterated. You know, those Greek letters have just been, you know, transposed into uh, and uh, English letters, and we have a new word. You know? mm-hmm. You know, John Wycliffe, uh, or no, William Tyndale, rather, when he... No, Wycliffe or Tyndale? I can't remember. I'm not sure on that one. One of those two guys, when they were writing the English and translating, they invented this new English word. It didn't exist in the English language until, uh, uh, I think, Tyndale. Tyndale. I think, yeah. But uh, uh, if someone knows how... I'm pretty sure William Tyndale is responsible for translating the Bible into English. Yeah, and this specific word... um, but anyways, that's a, uh, so that said, that's what it is, but this is what it means, you know? So when we think of like, well, believers baptism now, which we, you know, is falling in that apostolic tradition now is the church when we are, uh, being, uh, 
uh, immersed then, it is into that water, okay? We go down, this is the old person uh, symbolizing I'm down, I'm buried with Christ, but then raised up just like Christ was into newness of life. And so every time somebody comes to faith, it is that recognition, like you're saying, or the symbol uh, in that public proclamation I was once dead in my sin, but now I'm a new creation in Christ. I've yeah. been raised to life, and uh, and that's what the apostles, that's what we do today. Different than John. And so, I know there's like some confusion, some mm-hmm. mystery, because uh, of what who, what John was all about, and who he was, yeah. and things, but that was, he was a forerunner, really, that first like step, and even as we think of the gospel now, like you have to come repentant, acknowledging I'm a sinner, mm-hmm. repenting of that, but then believing in Christ. Yeah. And so John was really that first, right, preparing the way, hey y'all, like the Messiah's coming, he's, I'm not even worthy to just like this lowest thing, I can't, like, I, 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 I can't even untie his shoes. Yeah. So we need to get low because he's coming. Yeah. Well, and even there was the the question of like, hey, John, like this other guy's baptizing. Yeah. You know what's going on? He's like, no, he's the one that I came to pave the way. I I came to point back to the Messiah, and he, right. Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. And so, yeah. people were questioning even then, like, hey, there's a difference in these right. baptisms. They were recognizing that, and yeah. he said, yeah, like, I, and that's when he distinguishes minds. Of water, and, right? But his is far greater. Like, and right. so I think think of it like a royal announcement. You know, <laughs> if, uh, in those days, if a king or a dignitary was entering into a city, somebody, a forerunner, would come to announce his arrival. You know, and in many ways, John the Baptist was that mm-hmm. was that uh, forerunner announcement, saying, "Make way, the king is coming. Bow low, repent." Because he is here, and you'll find newness of life. Yeah. Um, and now we, on this side, like, that's where the difference as well is, like, baptizing now, and the apostles are like, he came, <laughs> the king came, he conquered death, you can now find, you know, so yeah. we're, we're pointing back on an event that has already happened, where John was pointing ahead to an event that was right at their doorstep. Yeah. yeah. So... So hopefully helpful, just as you kind of understand in history and all those things and in the Bible's, you know, narrative. But we have one more as well. That's right. So we're going to stick with John here and say, why did Jesus turn water into wine in John 2? When scripture seems to indicate that everyone was already drunk. Yeah. Why did Jesus turn water into wine in John 2? You know, so this is like one of those... Uh, stories that maybe it's not so much bizarre, but depending upon where you fall in the, like, can Christians drink, can they not, your personal convictions, your biblical convictions on all this, um, you know, can really kind of uh, unsettle us. Yeah. It's like, what's Jesus doing here? You know? <laughs> and if we read into this story now and we think, like, uh, you know, uh, we, we, you know, with our, in our, if we're envisioning in our own mind, like, a, a wedding celebration where there's just like an open bar and you know we've probably all been to those uh, weddings where people are just severely inebriated and as the night goes on it gets you know much worse um, we have to be careful of that because one just historically speaking that's not necessarily I think what's happening we're going to answer it spiritually what's happening here but even even just that it seems to indicate that they were already drunk it's like I would be careful about reading that into the text that everybody is there is already drunk. Yeah, and you know, just in verse 10, it, it says that 
they had too much to drink. Yep. But again, we don't want to to read into that and just assume that yep. that means drunkenness. Yeah. But but does it say that that they've had too much to drink? First ten it says everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, you know, so it's open, right? Here. Yeah. Um, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now, and so. Uh, especially as you just understand historically, like the wine in those days was was very minimal uh, alcoholic content. Yeah. Like yeah, we were just drinking wine freely of you know the high alcohol content that of you know much of our wine of today. Well, yeah, after a whole night of just only drinking that, well, well sure we would. But uh, you know, history seems to indicate that you know this was a <clears throat> the wine of, of this day was a regular drink. And uh, um, and so they, the, but it didn't have the the same like length of fermentation, and therefore the, you know the high alcohol con- content right. that would lead to this type of drunkenness or inebriation. Right. Um, no, it would. I'm not saying that. No, but but it, but they drank it more regularly, and it was much less, um, uh, much less potent in that way. And so I, all, all that to say is we just have to be careful about kind of reading in uh, our understandings of a, of a wedding and wine and all that here. Yeah. And because it can unsell us, if we do that, then it's like, well, what's Jesus doing here? Is he promoting <laughs> drunkenness and all yeah. that? It's like, no, 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 no. no. Yeah. That is exactly the opposite of what he's doing. Yeah. And so to even come back to the question, well, why did he do it? Well, he says it right in verse 11, you know, this, the first of his signs, okay, so this is like Jesus' entrance into his public ministry. Right. Um, I know it's only John 2, but it just kind of like overlooks his his childhood and his adolescence, and now he's, you know, probably around 30 years old at this point, and so now here's the first of his public signs, Jesus did at Canaan, Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Yeah. So this is his, like, uh, coming onto the stage, his opening act. And what's interesting with the the relation to wine in this is that we see in the Old Testament um, in in multiple spots, you know, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 31, um, Hosea 14, and and Amos um, 9 all refer to the the coming of the the kingdom, looking forward to that, um, equating it with an abundance of you know, grain and yeah. and wine and, and, and celebration and yeah. and wine was very much a a celebratory mm-hmm. um, thing in their culture. And so, right. I think as we as we see that in the Old Testament, looking forward to it, this is Jesus now proclaiming the coming of His kingdom. Right. Um, and again, we see the overflowing of yeah. wine. Yeah. And so it's. Yeah. That's yeah, cool when we understand our Old Testament yeah. and these uh, these uh, signs of when the Messiah would come. Yeah. And now John pulls us out. You know, John, who's the disciple, different than John the Baptist, mind you, is John the Apostle or disciple, the one whom Jesus loves. He uh, he's bringing us back, showing us here this uh, these these signs that the Old Testament prophets said. Here's how you'll know when the Messiah comes. Yeah. And that's really what he's getting at here about manifesting his glory because if we back up also in the text in the whole interlude before he does this you know there there there's a problem at the wedding because they've run out of wine so a massive social embarrassment yeah and so in the customs at that day you know you would serve the best wine first and then as the night would go on you know it just kind of you know it'd be the cheaper and other stuff you know just 
um, because you you know you want to start with the best. That's right. You know you want to start with what tastes you know the best, and then you know mm-hmm. as the night goes on and people go out like that's where they can uh, you know go. And now, not only has that not happened, but they've run out. Yeah. And so Jesus' mom, who I think knows she knows that her son is you know is a, not just the ordinary guy. She goes to him and is like they have no wine. And Jesus says, for a woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So a few things there that, like, we hear that word woman. Jesus is not <laughs> degrading his mother. Right. You know, this yeah. is an affectionate term or is, uh, towards his mother. But he's like, hey, like, why, why are you asking me? This ain't my party. You That's know? right. Um, but then that indicator here, which is a theme throughout John, where he says, my hour has not yet come. Mm. He's referring to his hour of of when he would be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. Yeah. And so all throughout John at these significant times, this is the beginning one, Jesus is like, my hour for this has not yet come. To come in and, you know, and to be on his way, it's not here, it's not here. But then you get later, right before it in John 13, he says, my hour has now come. Hmm. My hour has, has come. It is uh, when all these things are um, to are to happen right as the Passover is beginning and then he'll be uh, crucified uh, shortly thereafter but if as you read through John that's the kind of the big thing his hour has not yet come and then his hour is on the scene which again like we've seen all throughout this just the sovereignty of God even in the uh, in the midst of Jesus life as it seems like things maybe are spiraling out of control as he is brutally beaten and all that it's like no this everything is going exactly according to plan it's all right on schedule. Yeah. And so Jesus is like, that hasn't come, but what has come is his time to begin to first manifest his glory or to put on display mm-hmm. that he is uh, uh, God, yeah. that he is unique and different. And so what he does so is through this announcement, like you know, it, the, or in fulfilling these Old Testament signs, mm-hmm. that now he's here, and so the disciples believe him. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's, that's like, why does he do it? Why does he do it? Well, it's because fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. It's here to put on display. Now the clock starts ticking yeah. for when his hour will come. Yeah. And, uh, and everything is going exactly according to plan. Yeah, and I think as we look at that in, in light of the ceremonial, you know, jars of, of water there for, for purification that he chooses those to fill them. And it even says to the brim, you know, there's this, this completeness of this fullness, the, you know, an abundance. And, um, he's taking these ceremonial water, you know, jars and, and using them, um, for wine now that there's just this, the symbolic, um, fulfilling of the the law, the Old Testament, Old yeah. Testament, and this new um, this new covenant, this mm-hmm. you know, showing that He has completed it. He He's come to to fulfill that. And right. Um, right. I don't know. There's just a right. the uh, one who they have been waiting for has arrived. Uh, has arrived. Yeah. And how cool you know that is. We look back on it and see that and we're like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. The disciples believed in him. You know, those that were there at that point, his mom, I think, knew who he was. And, and uh, um, you know, and, and obviously the people at the wedding were pretty excited because that more and even better, better wine, wine. To, to drink. And so that's why he does it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, don't, don't get drawn into the, you know, to the weeds or the debates about is Jesus condoning alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, and drunkenness and all that. 
Now, don't don't be distracted from the greater glory that's happening in a passage like this. So, yeah. um, so that's really you know when it comes to. Uh, Interesting questions like this when it comes to the Bible. You know, context is so key. Uh, the original intent is so key. Hopefully it's helped you uh, just to gain some understanding specifically, but also when it comes to the Bible, like we have to see it in the big picture. You know, it's like a puzzle. And if we just have one piece and we're trying to like describe the piece and light it, big, it's like, no, we have to go put it and find it in the in the rest of the puzzle. And then all of a sudden, the, the, on the, the description and what's going on here makes a whole lot sense. So hopefully we've been able to bring that um, and, uh, and it's helped you gain, gain your confidence in, in the scriptures and about the character and who he is uh, and, uh, and how he acts with, uh, with humans like us. Thanks for tuning in to Consider It, where we are considering your questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, Texas. If you would like to submit a question, text the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505. To learn more about our church and the ministry here, visit redemption.bible. Thank you for your support and listening. Join us next time as we consider it.